Hello, and welcome to Goodnight Moose, where you can tune in for a light morning start, an afternoon nap, or even a nice cozy in for the night with a bit of story time. I'm so glad you're here. Today we're going to continue our chapter book series, The Lost Fairy Tales by Anna James, and today we'll be reading chapters 8 and 9. Let's settle in, breathe deep, and dive into our story. Chapter 8. What an Adventure Half an hour later, they were sitting around the kitchen table drinking very strong cups of tea with, out of character, two spoons of sugar, or, usually reserved for special occasions, fizzy drinks. I'm still not sure I understand how we can travel from the map room home, Tilly said. Is it book magic too? And can we get to the under library the same way? Ah, Grandad said, a little sheepishly. Well, yes and no. It's not exactly an approved transport method, and Pages and Co. shouldn't technically still be on the network. When you're the librarian, Grandma explained, you get a few favors from some of our fictional friends. One of those is that a character who specializes in magic doors and portals, say a charismatic lion or similar, will come and create one in the underlibrary map room that opens in the librarian's home, bookshop, or library, just in case of emergencies. It's supposed to be closed when a new librarian takes over, so we don't have magic portals crisscrossing the country, not to mention it's generally frowned upon to bring magical characters into the real world. But Amelia turned a blind eye when she took over, and I think we can assume that she won't be letting Melville know that the Pages and Co. portal still exists. In case you need to get back in without him noticing, Oscar asked. Precisely, Grandad said. Although, let's hope it doesn't come to that, Grandma said. We need to understand a lot more about what exactly is going on before we start sneaking around. So, what do we do first? Tilly asked. Well, you two are doing exactly what you were always going to do, Grandma smiled. You're going to Paris tomorrow morning to visit Oscar's dad for Christmas. But what about Melville and the stamping, and the book binding, and banning children from book wandering? Can't I help? Tilly persisted. While you're away, we will speak to Amelia and Seb properly, Grandma replied. In hindsight, it perhaps wasn't such a good idea for you both to come today, but thankfully Seb has diverted any immediate problems. Not that this is permission for you to book wander anywhere dangerous, of course. And don't worry about us, said Grandad. The stamping is an ethical problem, not a practical one. It will wear off soon, and it's not like we had any illicit book wandering trips planned. The thing we need to focus on is stopping them from binding books, and you can leave that to us. We'll talk to some librarians about the bookbinders, and of course, leave chalk to Melville. Is there really nothing we can do to help? Oscar asked. Not right now, Grandad said. Not even any research or reading or anything? Tilly persisted. You can help by having a wonderful time in Paris, meeting Oscar's dad, Grandad said firmly. Leave this one to us, and now, dinner. Half an hour later, Grandad set down a big bowl full of spaghetti cooked with tomatoes and prawns. Grandma added hot, buttery garlic bread and an arugula salad as Bee came and joined them from the just-closed bookshop. The table bore the marks and memories of years of the Pages family. 
the understide was still covered with the remnants of Tilly's attempt to turn it into a spaceship when she was younger, sticking colored paper buttons on with superglue. The surface had several red wine stains, a collection of pale circles where hot drinks had been put down without a coaster, and copious scratches on the legs from Alice the cat. It held center stage in the area that functioned as a dining room, a study, and a private family space away from the bookshop. It was rare for the table not to be covered with piles of books, half-done homework, lukewarm cups of tea, or unopened mail. So Oscar, Grandma said sitting down, how long has it been since you've been to Paris? Oscar was busy trying to sneak a corner of garlic bread into his mouth before realizing quite how hot it was. I haven't been since the summer holidays, Oscar said, trying to suck cool air into his mouth as he replied. With Mammy sick over half term and school and stuff, you know how busy everything gets, and Dad hardly gets any holiday, so he can't come here very often either. It's very kind of your dad to invite Tilly as well, Bee said, twirling her fork around her pasta without ever raising it to her mouth. What did you say his job was? He runs an art gallery with my stepmom, Oscar said. They're super busy all the time. I think it was mom's idea for us to go, probably. They do know I'm coming, though, right? Tilly said, alarmed. Yes, of course, Grandma reassured her. We've spoken to him several times on the phone to sort out train tickets and what you need to take. They're really looking forward to meeting you. And you'll get to meet Oscar's grandmother, too, as she's staying with them. Maybe you'll even see some of her illustrations. There's one of her paintings up in my dad's place, Oscar confirmed. It's super creepy and cool. What a treat, Grandma said, trying to coax some enthusiasm out of Tilly. It's going to be strange not being at Pages & Co. just before Christmas, was all Tilly said. But what an adventure, Granddad said, being in Paris at Christmas time. We'll miss you a lot, though, won't we be, Grandma said, nudging her daughter. I can barely remember what Christmas is like, Bee said almost to herself. It will be curious having a tree and turkey and all of that again. Didn't you have Christmas in a little princess, Oscar asked? Well, I assume we must have, Bee said slowly, but I find it hard to remember anything specific about being there at all, really. It's like trying to remember a dream. I just can't seem to picture any of it. And she went back to toying with her wine glass. Tilly had hoped that her mum would settle back into a normal life more each day, following her rescue from a little princess. But the opposite seemed to be true. Bee spent more and more time by herself and could be found lost in her own daydreams for much of the day. Pushing her glass to one side, Bee shook her head and smiled properly at Tilly. But you'll only be gone for a couple of days, and you'll be back in plenty of time for Christmas. Now who's up for coffee? Bee moved her nearly full bowl away from her and stood up musing Tilly's hair as she went to put the kettle on. Tilly tried to shove away her worries about her mother into a room right at the very back of her brain, along with her worries about what was going on at the underlibrary. She wedged a chair under the door handle for good measure to keep them locked in tight. Chapter 9 Something Wild and Beautiful There was something special about Pages & Co. first thing in the morning, especially if you were the only one in the shop. There was an air of expectation and endless possibility stacked neatly along the tidy shelves, adventure tucked between the dust jackets. 
Tilly sat cross-legged on the emerald green velvet sofa by the fireplace and watched the snow fall outside. The shop was still chilly, and Tilly's hands were wrapped around a hot cup of homemade concoction that Grandma called Mulled Rabina. She sipped carefully as the snowflakes danced and settled on the glass. I sometimes imagine they are tiny dancing snow sprites, a familiar voice said, and Tilly turned to see Anne Shirley, the heroine of one of Tilly's favorite books, sitting at the other end of the sofa staring out the window in wonder. Oh, Tilly said abruptly looking at her. Anne, do you know that your hair is green? Anne turned and looked at her mournfully. I have had such a terrible time of it. You would scarcely believe it could all happen to one person, she said dejectedly. Truly, the fates are against me. I thought I was dyeing it a beautiful, elegant raven black. But the man I bought the dye from at the doorstep has cruelly taken advantage of my vanity and... Well, look. I've been washing it furiously for three days straight now and no change. My life in the most glittering of social circles has ended before it had a chance to even begin. It is one thing to go to a dance as a redhead, but quite another to make an entrance with green hair, especially in a town so ravenous for gossip as Avonlea. Just imagine what Rachel Lynde would say if she saw me. She flopped her head dramatically onto the back of the sofa and let out a groan of woe. I am far too embarrassed to leave Green Gables. I will only permit dear Diana to visit as she is able to behave in the somber manner that befits the situation. And so, it's a pleasant surprise to find myself here. Were you thinking of me? I suppose I must have been in some way for you to arrive, Tilly said. And do you know, short hair is very fashionable here. You could always cut it. Oh, I don't think so, Anne said solemnly. Why, the only thing worse than green hair would be short green hair. And if it comes to that, I think I shall have to withdraw from polite society entirely. Well, fingers crossed it doesn't come to that, Tilly said weakly, knowing, from having reread Anne of Green Gables just the other week, that it was destined to turn out exactly like that. Anne rested her green head on Tilly's shoulder and sighed. Winter is the most magical time of year, isn't it? You say that about every season, Tilly said affectionately. Perhaps, Anne said, but the important thing is that I mean it fiercely in the moment. I do sometimes find that I mean things wholly and entirely when I say them only to discover that the next day, or the next season, my opinions have changed. Marilla says this makes no matter, and that falsehoods dressed up as enthusiasm are still falsehoods. But I think that if you mean something sincerely when you say it, then it is the truth, whatever happens next, and that enthusiasm is a very good reason for almost anything, especially winter. I wonder what winter in Paris will be like, Tilly mused. You're going to Paris, Anne said, sitting bolt upright. Why, how perfectly romantic. When are you going? Very soon, Tilly said. Our train leaves St. Pancras Station just before lunchtime, I think. Although, I'm not sure it's a good time to be going. Why ever not, Anne asked. I should have thought that there was no such thing as a bad time to go to Paris. Well... A lot has been going on here, Tilly said, and I don't really know where I fit into it all. Grandma and Granddad say they're going to fix everything while we're away, but I don't really see how they will be able to do that. And Amelia, our friend, has lost her job and no one seems worried about what Chalk is up to. 
and I just don't know what anything means, and it feels strange to just pop over to Paris for a holiday when everyone seems so stressed and my mom is still so sad. She's still sad? Anne asked gently. Yes, Tilly said. She basically stays here all the time. She hasn't gone into any stories since we said goodbye to my dad, and she won't even talk to me about it either. It's like we're strangers. Well, it must be ever so peculiar to go from having a newborn daughter one day and then, suddenly, the next time you see her she's eleven and a whole proper person with her own dreams and memories and desires, Anne said. It's one of those ideas that sounds like it might be quite romantic if you read it in a book, but when it happens to one of your bosom friends, you can't help but worry it's a little confusing and tragic. I mean, I'm not sure I'd go quite as far as tragic, Tilly said bristling. At least she's back now. You shouldn't feel sorry for me. I don't at all, Anne said earnestly. How could I feel sorry for someone who lives in a bookshop and has two grandparents and one whole mother to love her and is going to Paris in the snow? Why, I would never trade Green Gables for anything, but I would not be so sad to have your lot in life. I suppose so, Tilly said, trying to feel as lucky as she knew she was, really. The sound of the kitchen door banging made her jump, and she looked up to see Grandma heading her way. Are you all right, love? she asked, sitting next to Tilly on the sofa, a book under one arm. Anne's just gone, Tilly said. We were just chatting, and she had green hair. Ah, the green hair incident. I wish I could have seen it. It's good to have friends you can talk things through with you, you know, Grandma said. I'm glad you have Anne and Oscar. He takes in more than I think you sometimes realize. It will be lovely for you both to visit Paris and his family. Now I wanted to share something with you before you go. Grandma placed the book she was carrying gently on her lap. I thought you might like to have a look at this. It's my book of fairy tales back from when I was working in the underlibrary. It's where I used to start from when I was mapping them. The book was very old and battered, with slips of paper marking certain yellowed pages and a few corners turned down. Tilly carefully opened the front cover and saw an intricately decorated contents page of familiar stories. France is, in some ways, the home of fairy tales, certainly those in the Western tradition that are most familiar to us. Many of them were first written down in France, even if they originated elsewhere, Grandma explained. It's too dangerous to book wander there at the moment, but if you fancy it, maybe we could go together once everything's settled down? Yes, please, Tilly said as she turned through the pages. You said... You said there was a difference of opinion, and that's why you stopped working in fairy tales. Well, yes, Grandma said a little hesitantly. When I was the cartographer, I worked with another librarian, who used to be a close friend, and our job was to try to create a map of how fairy tales fit together, and to research why the usual rules don't apply there. But once we started to get somewhere with our research, the next stage was to use what we'd learned to make fairy tales safer for book wanderers and to share our maps. However, my friend got what I can only describe as cold feet about the whole project. Through our time, inside the stories, she decided that we shouldn't be trying to make them safer, and their danger was what made them special. She believed that we were trying to impose order on something wild and beautiful. 
And to be honest, I agree with her to a certain point, but she started seeing conspiracy theories everywhere and ended up being forced to... Well, she ended up leaving the underlibrary. Why does nobody seem to be able to agree on how book wandering should work? Tilly asked. Well, it's all very complicated, more so than you realize, Grandma said. Sometimes I feel that we should do away with the underlibrary altogether and let people just wander as they like. But then I think about B falling in love with your father and wanting to stay in a little princess. And then I think we need some rules and organization. I'm not sure we'll ever know the right answers to every question. We're all just doing our best. Mr. Underwood isn't, Tilly said firmly. Well, no, Grandma admitted. What he's doing isn't for the best, I don't think, but I am sure he believes it is. And if you can understand why someone is doing something, it's always a good start, even if you want to stop them. You heard what Amelia said. There's something going on behind the scenes here, something motivating Melville Underwood beyond mere power. We'll discuss it with Amelia and Seb and see what we can uncover. And what about Chalk? Tilly said. He's just getting away with what he did to Mum. Don't you think he should be punished in some way? Do you? Grandma asked. Yes, Tilly said. It's not fair otherwise. Well, I am sure that Melville is trying to find him and bring him to justice, whatever that might mean, Grandma said. Melville is a very clever man, regardless of any of his less appealing characteristics, and getting Chalk back into his own story would be excellent for his reputation. I imagine Melville would love to have that success to mark the beginning of his career as librarian. Chalk can't cause any damage to our family wherever he is, and you'll be safe in Paris, away from this for a while. Don't do any book wandering, just to be on the safe side, and you'll be back here before you know it. What do you mean, don't do any book wandering? Tilly asked, shocked. None at all? Grandma frowned. Surely you see that given the situation, it's best that you don't go into any books while you're far from home? I thought you said that Chalk couldn't hurt us, Tilly said. Well, no, Grandma said, but it's a time to stay safe, Tilly, and stay away from any regular book-wandering dangers. It's only for a short time, while everything settles down. Now, you'd better check you have everything for your trip. Grandma stood and left the book of fairy tales on the sofa, and a few minutes later, Tilly slipped it inside her backpack that was waiting by the door. If people were going to keep secrets from her, then she was going to do a little research of her own. Grandad was talking through the arrangements for meeting Oscar's father, Gabriel, at the other end for what felt like the tenth time that morning, before the taxi arrived to take them to St. Pancras Station to catch the Eurostar. We'll be fine, Tilly said, wanting to stop talking about leaving and get on with it. How much can go wrong on a train in two and a half hours? Grandad raised an eyebrow. I've seen you two make more mischief in ten minutes than most people could make in a lifetime. Fair, Oscar said, sounding quite proud. Is Mum coming to say goodbye, Tilly asked quietly. Ah, my love, I don't think so, Grandad said. You know how tired she gets since she got back. You said goodbye last night, didn't you? Tilly shrugged helplessly. The goodbye last night didn't make it better that her own mother hadn't bothered to come downstairs to see her off. 
You'll be back before you know it, Grandad said, picking up the bags. And we've got a proper Pages & Co. Christmas plan for when you're home. You and your mom can speak all the time while you're away. I know she'll want to talk to you every day and hear about what you're up to. Tilly didn't say anything, but picked up her bag and went outside to the waiting car. Then, just as she was settling into her seat, the bookshop door swung open and Bee rushed out, snuggled into a fleecy blue robe and flannel pajamas. Tilly, she said, sounding slightly out of breath, I'm so glad I caught you. She stopped and looked at Tilly and the delicate, precious thread of their relationship hung between them. I'm going to miss you, Bee said, and wrapped her up in a huge, self-conscious hug. Happy Christmas, she whispered into Tilly's ear. I love you very much. Tilly's heart instantly felt lighter, and she happily waved at her mom out of the taxi window until she was just a fuzzy shape on the horizon, waving in the middle of the road. The end. I hope you enjoyed Goodnight Moose, and I can't wait to relax with you again soon. Until then, rest well, have plenty of water, and don't forget to fill your cup of self-care.